The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? of your three favorite F words, food and football. The third, obviously, being flamingos. Get your head out of the gutter. I apologize <laughs> that my camera is not turned on. My dog ate it. Nate, uh, how you again. doing, dude? Again, the dog ate it again. How convenient, Bruce. Uh, Bruce, I'm fantastic. I am, uh, I've got some fresh Florida tan. I just uh, got back from Boca Raton or Boca Raton as the locals would call it, they, they combine the words Boca Raton. Um, but yes, I'm well, Bruce. And uh, before we hop into all important things tonight, let me uh, just tell you what I had for dinner tonight. I'm ready. So, so listen, you know, when you come home from work travel, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you travel for work often. I don't believe you do. Um, you know, you get off the airplane. What's the first thing you do? You're like, all right, I'm back in Buffalo. I need to do a Buffalo thing. So I was like, called my girlfriend. I said, sweetie, I'm feeling chicken wings. And she said, okay. I'm going to make homemade soft pretzels. And I said, let's do it. So she made fantastic uh, soft pretzels with like a uh, a jalapeno cheese sauce that was like bomb bomb. And I tried this new spot. Well, it's not new. It's new to me because I haven't had it yet. But this Sports City pub that's down the street from my house. It's not on Niagara Street. It's I, could, I kid you not. It's a, a four-minute drive. Um, fantastic wings. Uh, and, and, and Pat has done... Um, uh, Pat has done a wing review uh, from there uh, as well, so it's a it's a well known place amongst the, the the chicken wing community. It was my first, and uh, I was uh, I was not disappointed. Well, I mean, if you come back, you're feeling like you need to ingratiate yourself to the Buffalo community. The best thing you can do, of course, is have some chicken wings. While we are all getting seated, a reminder: like, 
subscribe, rate, review, do all the things, all the engagement things. Hit me in the comments with things. Do all the stuff that we need to make sure all the, the stuff. podcast can reach more people. The show can reach more people. Nate and I can reach more people. As a reminder, we will try to get to as many comments as humanly possible. We will not get to all of them, but we will get to every single YouTube Super Chats. So, given the fact that this was kind of the food of the week, yep. we basically have no choice but to talk about peanut butter and jelly sandwich. For those who do not know, one of the main stories that was used to entertain the viewers during the delay that happened during the Buffalo Bills-Kansas City Chiefs Sunday night football game was the knowledge that the Bills were eating peanut butter and jelly mm -hmm. sandwiches at halftime. Because you got a carbo load. You got to do the things. You got to get that protein in there too. Nate, I am here to fight you, or I'm assuming we're going to fight. Yeah, we're about, just, it's a good assumption. About the preferred and ideal method yeah. to prepare a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. There are so many different binaries. There's a workflow. Basically, I could create a flow chart. That's mm. nothing but peanut butter. You know what? That sounds delicious. A peanut butter and jelly flow chart sounds delicious and incredibly entertaining. You got to go chunky or creamy. You got to do the cut. You got to do the bread. You got to do the application. You got to do all those things. Nate, tell me how you prepare your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So first and foremost, I believe the reason we're going to fight is because you grill your grill, your, uh, your peanut butter and jelly. Is that right? Is that not always? Okay. But I, I assume that's I what we were going to fight about. I, I just, have in I, the past and I make, I make no bones about this. I have no shame in my game. However, I have not in quite some time. The only reason I don't, and I'll just just start by telling you why I don't like the grilled PBJs, is because when the peanut butter gets all hot or warm like that, it ends up kind of oozing out of the sides. Um, so that's that's really my my big gripe against the grilled PBJ. It's not that I don't enjoy the flavor; it's just that it becomes a very difficult sandwich to consume. Um, having said that, my peanut butter and jelly. Um, so uh, Sarah Lee has this delicious, like artisan. I like to say it that way. Artisan white bread. Um, it's got like a little, a little flour on top of it. It's super soft. It's fantastic. I like to get that bread. Um, I like creamy peanut butter and I like Concord grape jelly. Um, I am not against um, strawberry. Um, I don't know. I'm not against like strawberry jams. What other jams have I? raspberry jam is fine um, or preserves. Raspberry preserves are very good. Strawberry preserves are very good. But like just for, you know, the sake of argument, my peanut butter jelly of choice is that Sara Lee fluffy white bread. It is creamy peanut butter, Concord jelly and or jam, Concord jelly or jam. Um, and it has to be cut diagonally across, uh, you know, the diagonal cut, uh, not straight, not sideways, diagonally. That is my. Um, that is my perfect PBJ. Okay, so the, one of the things I'm glad we agree on is that it must be cut diagonally. There is a yeah. mathematically preferable way to cut sandwiches, and it's diagonally. We need to get Matt Perino on here so we can berate him about him cutting sandwiches long ways. Like, what what kind of sociopath does this? It just I'm not feels sure. wrong. I yeah. am with you on. I am with you on the Concord grape. Let me I, ask you. I, I was, are you going to ask me the percentages? I'm going to ask you percentages, and I'm also going to ask you, is this a peanut butter on both sides and jelly in the middle to keep it from being soggy? Because my wife has been known to do that. And I got to be honest, I think there's something there, Nate. I think I'm there's something to it. 
I don't I don't do that myself. Um, my perfect uh, ratio is about fifty five percent jelly, forty five percent peanut butter. We Calvin are opposite. in the comments. Calvin and I are are opposite. Yeah. 55 peanut butter, 45 jelly. 65 is max you can go on peanut butter. I agree. It does get a little bit sticky when it's just peanut butter. I know people who just do straight peanut butter sandwiches. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's, that's the bad. way. That's what you feed your dog when you're trying mm-hmm. to record videos of them, like to pretend like they're talking and yep. do a voiceover of your dog talking. Short of that. You feed them just peanut butter and they go. Nom, 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 also, nom, nom. I, I do want to throw in. I want to throw just a uh, like a sliver of context here. Are you taking this peanut butter and sand, uh, jelly sandwich to go, or are you eating it fresh? Eating it fresh? What kind of psycho kicks it to go? Uh, what if you're bringing it for lunch? What if you're packing it for lunch for the day? If you're packing it for lunch for the day, then you have to go with a heavier peanut butter to jelly ratio because the jelly really softens and, and moistens the bread where it gets kind of soggy and gross. Let me tell you, though, Bruce, about something here. My high school, and when I went to high school way back in Nam. Um, there was two cafeteria lines. We had a very large high school. One side was the main lunch. The other side was the soup, salad, and dessert section. And once a week in high school, I would get the peanut butter and jelly. And let me tell you why, Bruce. They did the classic triple-decker PBJ. Okay. Three pieces of bread, diagonally cut. Now, it was on wheat bread, but I was able to overlook that because Concord jelly, creamy peanut butter it was just the world's greatest sandwich and once a week you get the triple decker and i've never had it i haven't had a triple decker pbj since high school i think i might have to try to bring that out of retirement okay all right i'm listening to this triple decker i i i hear it it's a lot of bread i can envision it it's almost like the big mac of a little bit butter and jelly sandwiches a little bit yeah Uh, okay i'm down for it you know what else I'm down for, aside from Tell consuming me. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, is what happened immediately after the Bills consumed the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. When they defeated the Kansas City Chiefs by 18 points, and we all got to bed way later than any East Coast people reasonably should. But it was worth it because the Bills defeated the Kansas City Chiefs. One of the things that they're constantly preaching to us is it's just the next game, right? Mm. Just the next Rarely. game. They said it was the Houston Texans. They weren't looking forward to the Kansas City Chiefs. It was just the next game. Now, they're allowed to do that, Nate. They're allowed to say that. They're In allowed fact, to say it. You yeah. say that because the alternative is bad. So they're really kind of pinned in a box. They pretty much have to say that. You and I, we're not bound by those constraints, Nate. No, we are not. Say things like it's the same as any other game. I, for one, believe in measuring stick games. I think they're a real thing. Measuring stick games matter. I think they matter for the psyche of your team. So as we think about this, what does the victory over the Kansas City Chiefs really mean? What does it mean for this franchise? First off, is it diminished by the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs have a terrible defense? Is it diminished by the fact that Maybe they already lost this year to the Chargers. What does the Bills' victory actually mean? First off, what does it mean to the Chiefs? And then what does it mean to the Bills? Bruce, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to get into this a little bit. So I went into – 
just for the sake of consistency, I went into this football game during pregame and I said shortly, this is a measuring stick game to a certain extent, unless the Bills defense gets blown off the field and looks as bad as the Chiefs defense has looked. I'm not sure that I want to measure this game and say the defense just isn't good. They've just beaten bad teams simply because they ran into what I believed going into the game was the best offense in the league. But the best offense in the league was in the game. It it just was was playing for the Buffalo Bills and I was on the Buffalo Bills sideline. So uh, what I'll say is I think in terms of measuring stick games, it still was the team to beat. They are the team to beat at seven losses because they're the Super Bowl contender from super up. They're the AFC championship uh, championship winner from last year. And they're a team that has had the Bills number, especially the last two times they played in Bruce. And I know there's been a lot of conjecture. There's been a lot of talk about crazy new game plans that were brought out and, 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 you know, a different Bills team. I I've, you know, we'll have an opportunity to talk a little bit about that today. I, I there's some of the narrative I want to push back on a little bit, but uh, some part of what I want to talk about um, in that game is the physicality that we saw from the Bills. This was, you, you sort of mentioned it, right? Like it's the most important game because it's the next game. That's sort of their, their preachy vibe they talk about that you hear from Sean McDermott, but you hear it echoed by almost every player, most notably Josh Allen. Every time he talks to the media, he sort of mentions, you know, it's the most important game because it's the next game. But there was very clearly some bad blood between these two teams that showed up early in the game. But I thought that when there was a moment to sort of take over as that team that was going to set the tone physically, the Bills answered the toll. And not only do that, but they 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 used it and they dominated the entire football game. There has there was I think multiple opportunities in that football game on Sunday night for things to go the wrong way. The weather finally starting to pick up again in that second half when the Bills have the ball at their own you know whatever it was their own six yard line on third down, um, and Josh Allen's able to make a throw and they they're well, they they get the the pass interference penalty right? Is that oh, no? It was the roughing the passer penalty against Josh Allen and that drive goes on to essentially be the closing drive. Like I, I talked about it after the game, Bruce, like that was a, one of the best drives I've seen in my lifetime from, from a bills team. Like it was impressive. Um, you know, that chiefs team knew the bills were going to run the football to try to grind out another score. And they go, you know, at that time, like 95 yards down the field and, and put a, a put away touchdown um, against the team that has just had their number. Um, we're going to talk to Matt Verderam here from fan side. he, He's a Chiefs fan, and he covers the Chiefs a lot and writes about the Chiefs. He writes about the entire NFL. He's an NFL correspondent. But, you know, I'm really interested, Bruce, to sort of hear what Matt has to say because I know he watches a lot of film, and I know you had a chance to go back. I don't think the Bills recreated the wheel in in ways that I've seen um, a lot of people talk about this week. I just think they went to something that they hadn't necessarily done a lot, which is, you know, use a lot more – 22 personnel, right? They're, they're using a lot of interesting situations where you're using more uh, uh, Reggie Gilliam. We, we, didn't, we saw more Reggie Gilliam in that game Sunday night than we've seen him all year. Um, so I think for me, the, the thing that I am maybe most interested in talking about in terms of measuring stick is not about you know whether or not the, that Chiefs defense was so bad that the Bills should look that good. It's that the Bills defense absolutely... They did, Bruce, they did everything the Kansas City Chiefs defense did to the Bills offense in the AFC Championship game. They decided that they were going to force the referees to change the outcome of the game. 
and the Bills bet properly. They bet that they were going to get some calls against him. And, of course, there were some untimely holding calls against Trey White, against uh, – there was, I think, one against Levi Wallace that was probably not a good call. But what the Bills banked on is they're not going to call it all night. They're not going to call it every single time. Um, and I think the Bills used that physicality and the same mindset that Kansas City brought to the AFC Championship game last year, flipped it and used it against them. And, and for me – that's that. That's the thing to me about this Bills defense. I I didn't want to see them get blown out and and the narrative be they they only beat bad football teams. They manhandled that football team on Sunday, Bruce. They manhandled that offensive line that everyone talked about from a run game perspective. They put five and six in the box and they couldn't run on this Bills defense. And that is the biggest difference from this matchup in Week Five uh, or this uh, matchup in Week Five compared to the matchup in Week Six last year in the AFC Championship game as well. One of the things that I talk about a little bit on the Bruce exclusive is that there is an element of rock, paper, scissors to offensive and defensive scheming that we are not, we're really not comfortable talking about. And the Kansas City Chiefs made no secret of their plan in the AFC championship game. They came up and flat out mugged the Buffalo Bills wide receivers. And they, they said, we're going to challenge you with physicality. Well, the Bills came back and said, well, we're going to challenge your physicality with tight nub formations, and you're not going to be able to get up and fight us because we're going to have tight formations. This is a this is a very Sean McVay looking sort of offense when it comes to the tight formations that don't allow you to press and force you to have to play off a little bit, or you'll get rubbed out. You know that's it's a problem. It's there'll be a pick play and you'll be in trouble, and they'll be crossing routes out of these nub formations, and it's a it's a fact that. There is an element of rock, paper, scissors. The Bills responded. They didn't just do the same thing they did in the AFC Championship game. And on the flip, the flip side, they also did the things that work better against Kansas City's zone flooding concepts on offense. Kansas City forces you to play man. They want you to play man. So you have to man up on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and say, listen, our top two are better than your top two. We want to force you to play man. So we're going to go four strong and we're going to flood your zone. So you are forced, you are required to go man to stop that. And then when you go, man, we're going to beat you over the top. We're going to beat you by running away from you. We're going to beat you by Travis Kelsey shaking your best linebacker. And the Bills were able to get great communication and they were able to stay in zone coverage when necessary. And when they needed to go man, they slapped Taron Johnson on Tyreek Hill to fairly significant effect. So I really think that when I look at what it meant for the team, I think number one, it meant something emotionally to the team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mentioned on the Bruce exclusive this week that they stopped the boogeyman before he became the boogeyman. There wasn't going to be a scenario where the Patriots of the 20 year dynasty suddenly morphed into the Chiefs. And now we have a boogeyman we can't beat. But more importantly than that, what Matthew said in the comments was to the Bills, this game meant their plan worked the bills out coached yeah the Kansas City Chiefs after After being out coached almost every other game against the Chiefs in the in the Allen versus Mahomes era it's not just the personnel we spent a lot of time this offseason talking about what the bills were going to do from a personnel standpoint to beat the Kansas City Chiefs the personnel was only moderately different this time around Emmanuel Sanders is here you know Gregory Rousseau's here But aside from that, it was very, very similar. 
Yes, but uh, how about this too? And and somebody mentioned this during the week, I think it was Bruce, and and basically had, had talked a lot about a really interesting thing they noticed during the game was one of these coaching things, right? That we're talking about. I think this is a good example of that. Is early in the football game with AJ Klein on the field in those nickel packages. Every single time Tremaine Edmonds lined up over the top of Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, they motioned over Travis Kelsey to essentially create the mismatch against Kelsey and Klein in coverage. But the Bills countered. Instead of just letting that happen all game long, the Bills countered. They said, okay, passing downs. Sierra Neal, oh, you have no film on him? Oh, <laughs> well, let's put Sierra Neal in the game, who we have almost used in no real way or in a meaningful way at all at the beginning of this football season. Now, Leslie Frazier, during training camp this year, did say that they believed that Sierra Neal had deserved and earned his own package of plays. They were going to try to make a more cognizant effort to get Sierra Neal on the field. They got him on the field against the league's best tight end. I'm not here to tell you that, you know, he shut him down. But Sierra Neal won far more times than he lost, and I think that's a huge win. And it was a big – you talked about that chess match, Bruce. And that was sort of the tic-tac-toe of this is you're going to motion. You're going to motion away from the strength of our defense and how we're trying to cover you fine, we're going to make a personnel change to a more athletic, a more physical player that you don't have film on. And, and I think that's just part of the brilliance of how well this game was coached from the Buffalo Bills. I agree. And hopefully we see that moving forward against the Tennessee Titans, who are complete opposites. But they're just so bad defensively. opposites yeah, of the Kansas yes. City Chiefs. The only thing that they have in common is they're not playing well defensively. But on the offensive side of the board, Derrick Henry has never had more touches. Every single year, I think this is the year that Derrick Henry year. starts to fall off the cliff yep. because he's had too many touches. But it never ends up happening. It never ends up happening. And we are going to get to schematically what we want to talk about in regards to the Tennessee Titans right after we have a lovely chat with the one, the only. Now, Matt, you're going to have to help me. Is it Verderam or Verderam? It's Verderam. Verderam. Okay. So, Matt Verderam, fan-sided, is here with us on Food for Thought. First off, thank you for being here. Second off, how you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Fantastic. It's a party all the time. Disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. <laughs> it's obviously better for Bill's Mafia because they just came off a victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's kind of what we wanted to start off and chat with you a little about because we know that you watch enough film with enough broad perspective to be able to say, first off, how big of a problem is this Kansas City Chiefs defense? Because every year we have teams who we think, okay, is it bad enough? I think back to some of those Saints teams under Sean Payton, whose defense was mm. just bad enough to stop them from getting to where they want to go. Are we talking that level of hamperance or are we talking something that potentially they could get turned around? Well, I, I think it's both. Right, right now, look, they're the worst defense in some regards in NFL history. I mean, they are they are on a pace to shatter records in some regards. So they've been every bit as awful as you can imagine. They, they can't get to the passer. They can't stop the run. They make up for it by not covering anyone. When they are close enough to cover someone, they, they have missed tackle after tackle. They can't get lined up correctly, even though they've been in the same defense for three years. So, you know. It's the first time I can remember watching them in a long time, and they've had some bad defenses. You're the one to the AFC title game and lost in New England. They were terrible defensively. But that team led the league in sacks. Like, this is 
this has to be the first time I've watched them and said they can't do one thing well. Nothing. Mm-hmm. They, they're not fast. They're not necessarily big either. That said, there are some things I think they can do. Look, they, they've missed Willie Gay, who's their second-year linebacker for much of the year. He came back against Buffalo. He played more in the second half. He's very fast. He can cover. That gives them something they have with none of the other linebackers. Juan Thornhill, mysteriously, has been on the bench. I, I, a little bit of the doghouse situation. Dan Sorensen's played instead of him. Dan Sorensen has gotten cooked. We saw that Sunday night where Dawson Knox beat him over and over and over. Juan Thornhill is a lot more athletic. He does miss tackles, but he is he is more of a center fielder. And then Chris Jones has missed some time. He's been banged up. Same thing with Frank Clark. So I think they will get better. But they've got to get significantly better to not be a hindrance for them to make a Super Bowl-type run. Yeah, man. I mean, I look at this defense, and I, I, I kind of thought to myself, all right, Chris Jones is out. And Chris Jones – is an all-pro level player. This is a guy that affects game plans, that will force double teams, and has a ripple effect on the rest of that defensive line, which is part of the reason the team goes out and gets a Jaron Reed and and allows Chris Jones maybe to bump out and some more edge looks for this team to give them a little bit more of a personnel advantage and and try to bring double teams towards the edge, which should free up some one-on-one situations for Jaron Reed, who, again, came over as, I think, a surprise cut from the Seahawks and is a guy that I believed was going to really, I think, move things in the right direction for this defense, take that defensive line to the next level. He's been a pretty big disappointment for me, Matt, anyways, and he was in that football game. How much of this early season disappointment can you say goes from Chris Jones maybe being in and out of the lineup? And and even before the injury, Matt, I, I can't say that I've loved what I saw from Chris Jones this year in this defense. He does not look like the same player that he was last year. I know that wrist injury with, that kept him out on Sunday night is clearly ailing him. But it, it sort of has felt like almost really from the start, even the things that you felt like you can control, the things that Chiefs fans might have been looking forward to defensively, have just sort of fell to the wayside. And it just seems like there's a lot of shattered dreams on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, well, it, it's... It's multifaceted. So they moved Jones from inside to outside this year. And he had two sacks against Cleveland in week one. Looked good. He's He's been good, but he's not the wrecking ball force that he is on the inside. I just mm-hmm. think tackles can deal with his athleticism more than guards can. He's just so quick that I, I think inside, you know, you're, normally you're kind of built as a guard or a center to deal with power. You're not necessarily dealing with a guy who can just move laterally like Jones can. So, you know, but they moved him outside because they got Jerron Reed. Now, when I talked to sources over the, the course of the, the summer and the spring when he signed, the two teams he was choosing between were Buffalo and Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And he ended up going to Kansas City. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people over the summer who thought that was one of the better underrated signings of the offseason. Agreed. He, he's been awful. Yeah. Awful. Like, they played Colin Saunders more than him against Buffalo in, by snap count. It is he has not made one meaningful play in five weeks. Hasn't gotten a pressure. Hasn't touched quarterback. I think he, I think I've seen him maybe make two plays against the run that have that have made any noticeable difference. Um, and then the other part of it is, look, outside Kansas City, I don't know how much play this gets. Frank Clark's been awful. He has been awful. In fact, a fun fact for the for the crowd: Marcus Kemp, who's a reserve receiver for the Chiefs, has four tackles. That's as many tackles as Frank Clark has this season. And Frank Clark is making $28 million. I mean, it, it's impossible. If he wasn't making the salary he was making, he would not be on the field. He yeah. wouldn't even sniff a snap. But 
He's making the seventh most money in, in the league this year and the most by anybody who's not a quarterback. Wow. His first two years in Kansas City have been disappointing in the regular season, but he's made up for it because he's been unbelievable in the playoffs. It's it's reached the point like this is going to be his last year in KC. After this, they'll cut him. They'll save thirteen million. They'll move on. Um, but it's been it's been those things. Anthony Hitchens, who's been a good linebacker for them for years, he's hit a wall. He just mm-hmm. can't run anymore. This will be his last year in KC as well. They'll cut him after the season, save some money. So, a couple guys have gotten old. A couple guys have been out of the lineup. A couple guys have been moved around, changed their roles a little bit. I think Spagnolo, just based off of his track record, will fix some of these things, but. Some of this stuff, I think, is an off-season thing. You're not gonna, you're not gonna hmm. replace four or five guys during the season. We're here with Matt Verderam from Fanside. We've been talking about the Chiefs' defense, and I want to switch over because I got a super chat here from Chris Burke. First off, Chris, thank you so much for the super chat. He said you had me convinced that coverage was more impactful than pass rush. After this game, I'm starting to think that the best defense is really good at both. I don't think we can make like, an argument about that, but I want to right. talk a little right. bit about the. Buffalo Bills regression in defense in 2020 and their subsequent resurgence in 2021. Is it a pass rush thing? Is it a coverage thing? The personnel is very, very similar. I mean, mm-hmm. Gregory Rousseau is new. Star Latule is back. Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are healthy. Is Fish. it really just that? Is it a scheme thing? What are the what are the significant differences that you see from the Buffalo Bills defense that maybe it's just regressed to middle of the pack in 2020 and all of a sudden in 2021, it's circa 2019. The entire time the 2020 Buffalo Bills regular season was going on, the fan base was saying, goodness gracious, if we yeah. could get 2020 Buffalo Bills offense with 2019 Buffalo Bills defense, we'd really have something. And then this whole offseason, we're like, well, okay, did they do enough to get mm-hmm. that resurgence from the defense? And it happened. Is it a pass rush thing? Is it a coverage thing? Is it a health thing? Is it just a little bit of everything? What's the biggest thing, in your opinion, Matt, when you look at the Buffalo Bills defensive resurgence well, this particular year? I think, it, look, Rousseau's been really good, right? Like he, He's been an excellent player, had a hell of an interception against Mahomes, against Kansas City. But when you watch that game, and of course, that, that's really the first game I think their defense was truly tested because the first four games yeah. of the year, they played some of the worst offenses in the game. Um, but I, I think when you watch that game, it wasn't to me that the pass rush was unbelievable. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of – but they were able to cover by dropping guys and not blitzing for three seconds and four seconds. And that's hard to do against the Chiefs. I don't care how many guys you dropped. They did a really good job of doubling Hill, of trying to limit Kelsey underneath, and so to me, I look at the Bills and say, with their defense specifically, their, their secondary is really underrated. Everybody always just says nationally, oh, Tredavious White's great, but who else? Well, Teron yeah. Johnson's a good player, and I think that safety combination is top three in the NFL. Nobody ever talks about Hyde and Poyer nationally. They're spectacular players. They're really good. So I do think that that coverage unit gives those younger guys like Rousseau and Epinesa and Boogie Basham and all the rest of them Gives them that extra half second to get home. In the NFL, an extra half second is the difference between a pressure and a sack. It's a difference between an incompletion and a hurried completion for five yards. You dump it off to the back. So I think for Buffalo, certainly it works in tandem. You know, no, no question. But if you said to me, how how do I think it works more? I think it is. It starts with the coverage. I give Leslie Frazier a lot of credit. 
you know, he may fall into the category of not a great head coach, but a really good coordinator, kind of like Spagnolo has been throughout most of his career in Kansas City. I think they did a really nice job. They frustrated Kansas City with the way they covered. It forced Mahomes to hold the ball. And I think if you go back and watch the film of that game, and this was by design, this is not a, a discredit of Buffalo, there were plays underneath for the Chiefs. Yes, there was. The Chiefs could have thrown the ball all day for seven, eight yards, but they were frustrated. They didn't want to do that. Now, I think if they see each other again, I think then you have to maybe adjust a little because I think the Chiefs would say, hey, look, we've got to just hit Hill for seven yards. We've got to we've got to hit the back for five, six yards. We've got to run him out of it a little bit. But give Frazier credit. He started out with that plan. The Chiefs didn't make him change. The Bills are the Bills are a very, very good team, and they have great personnel, and that back seven, I think, leads the way defensively. Listen, Matt, I, I, I look at this Chiefs offense and I see a lot of similarities on how the Bills sort of, listen, it's a copycat league. It felt like, and listen, the copycat of what the Bills did to the Chiefs and what the Steelers did to the Bills in week one. These yep. are things that if everybody could do it, they would just do it and it would work every time and there'd be no good quarterback play across the league. The reason why it is hit or miss is because it relies heavily on being able to get home with four. But more importantly, it relies on the coverage on the back end. And that was the one thing I think that stood out to me, man. You are spot on. I, I don't know that I would say that that was there all day, but I thought that for the most part, Patrick Mahomes had his running back, had Tyreek Hill, had Nicole Hardman for that four, five, six, seven yard drop down or, you know, uh, you know, just little drop off pass all day. How much of them not taking that had to do with the defensive struggles in that football game the 100%. same way that I believe? And Matt, like, like I, I view, I think about what 100%. went wrong with the Bills in that and against the Steelers. Josh Allen was chasing the points he left on the board and that, that overthrow to Emmanuel Sanders in that football yep. game. And similarly, once Patrick Mahomes throws an interception, once there is an additional, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? An additional possession for the other team. Yep. Oh, I don't dare. I say a little bit of hero ball takes over and, and Patrick Mahomes and listen, he's the best quarterback in the league. No one's going to argue that, but when the even when the best quarterbacks, it's it's a great way to say what was going wrong with Josh Allen is a lot of what is going wrong with the best player in the league right now, which is he is trying to make up for the league's worst defense and he's chasing points early in football games. He is. And you know, I thought that game was interesting in the sense, you know, the Chiefs get the ball to start out and he misses Kelsey on the one time the Bills blew coverage. Mm -hmm. Like that that should have been a touchdown or at the very least a huge play down to the red zone. And he misses him. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're chasing a little bit. They end up getting the field goal there. Hill drops a pass. On the, you, and Matt, home. you said it. You said it. Field, whoever decides to kick the first field goal, whoever's going to win the red zone. I mean, you said it all week. I did. Look, it, it, it was. I said on, on your show, I talked to Matt Perino on his show. Like, it was going to be about red zones and turnovers. That was it. Like, the Chiefs lost four turnovers. And, look, give. I mean, hey, Teron Johnson, give him credit, right? I mean, you see guys drop the ball all the time right in their hands, but that's a ball where – Right through Tyreek Hill's hands. It's right through, it's, now, it would have been a punt. It would have been fourth down and two or three, and they would have punted the ball, I'm sure. But that turns into a pick six. You know, the rain, whatever you, you want to look at, but the, the snap that Mahomes doesn't handle, they lose points there. Rousseau, to his credit, made a great play. Yeah. I mean, that that's a play that 99 times out of 100 does not get picked off. That was a great play by Rousseau. And then, you know, but to go back to your original question, I think a lot of it is with the, with the Chiefs. You know, you look at, they are so bad defensively that that offense feels unquestionably like they have to score every time. They have to move the ball every time. They beat the Eagles 
in week four, nobody punted. Nobody punted the entire game. The Eagles, the only reason that the Eagles didn't score 40 points in that game was they beat themselves with turnovers, or excuse me, with penalties in the red zone. And they ended up, uh, Sirianni ended up kicking like two field goals under 30 yards, which was insane. But, you know, Kansas City is a frustrating team right now because you look at them and they played the Chargers, they played the Ravens, and both those games they lost because of their, their own mistakes. I mean, I will say this. The one argument that drives me nuts, you hear these, you hear some national puns say, well, the Chargers are the best team in the AFC. <laughs> like, listen, Chargers are good. They're not as good as Buffalo. And quite honestly, if you watch that game with Kansas City, the Chiefs racked up 500 yards in that game. Yeah, They turned the ball over three times inside the 30-yard line. They just gave up, whatever, 42 points against Cleveland. Yeah. yeah they handed it to them. I mean, the Chiefs should have beaten the Chargers by 14 points in that game. They handed them the game. And I will say this, though, for the Bills. I, you know, that was the first time since Mahomes has been the starting quarterback. Well, I've walked away from a game and said, you know what? That team's just better than Kansas City. They they kicked their ass up and down the field. I mean, Buffalo is just better than them. Tampa Bay, they killed them in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs were missing a million guys. It is what it is. The Chiefs weren't missing a million guys. Yeah, they're out Jones, but so what? You're always out somebody. The Bills were out without Milano. Yeah, right. Paris Fair, straight up. The Bills kicked their ass in that game. That was, and that was, I think, the worst game Mahomes has ever played for the Chiefs, ever. Like that was missing throws. And the Bills made it hard on him, but it was it was a bad game. And the Bills just just killed him. Everything Allen wanted to do, he did. I, I, I was thoroughly impressed. Not surprised, but impressed. Now, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes, and I want to talk about the worst game he ever played. Because Patrick Mahomes is part of the myth of football in the fact that <laughs> he just doesn't have a lot of bad games. I mean, you can count on one hand the amount of bad games that Patrick Mahomes has had. My question to you is, is this defense for Kansas City, is it bad enough to force Mahomes to start to, as Nate said, maybe play a little bit of a hero bar that maybe we start to see more bad games this year from Patrick Mahomes than potentially we've seen? Is this the year where you have to kind of push? Is it that bad where it starts to bleed over into the other side of the ball and into the best player in the football? It's possible. It's, look, I don't think he's going to have a lot of games like that because Buffalo's a, a great team and they got up on him. And it, it's just kind of one of those games that could sideways. The Chiefs' schedule so far has been ridiculous. They've played Cleveland, mm. Baltimore, the Chargers, the Eagles. Okay, the Eagles stink. And then they played the Bills. I mean, they, they have played everybody who's any good in the conference and they're five weeks into the year. Now they go through a stretch where they're going to get Washington. Look, Tennessee's dangerous because of their offense, but Tennessee can't stop anybody. I would imagine Mahomes is going to roll up a ton of yards in that game. I mean, they've, they have Washington, Tennessee, and the Giants the next three weeks. Mahomes is probably going to throw for about 1,200 yards. Total. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's going to go nuts. And I will, I will tell you, I would not want to be Washington this week. No. Game. They've heard all week how much they stink. Mm-hmm. Washington's beat up, everything else. But, no, I think, look, when they play Green Bay this year, when they play Dallas, you know, and those are probably the two teams that stick out the rest of the way. They play the Chargers again on a Thursday night. Yeah, there's there's going to be potential for picks because if this defense doesn't get better, all all of his picks, save for one, so five of the six, have all been on third downs where he's just forced the ball because mm-hmm. it's like, well, if we punt, we're screwed. It's the same as a punt for the most they, part. Anyways. I mean, they yeah. just, he just figured that two of the balls have gone right through guys' hands. Yep. I mean, Kemp had a ball against the Chargers. It would have been a walking touchdown. It went right through his hands, and Asante Samuel picked it off. Um, and then, of course, the one with Hill on, on Sunday night. But listen. As a Chiefs, as, as, as someone who grew up a Chiefs fan, even though I grew up in New York, 
Um, I don't I don't worry about them offensively. They're going to score a million points. It, it, the question with them is, can they get 20% better defensively? If they can, even if they've got to go on the road in the playoffs, they'll be right there. They'll mm-hmm. challenge anybody. They'll be terrifying to play. If they don't get better, then I think it's one of those things where it's going to be, look, if, if you have a good defense, you're probably going to win because you can stop them a few times and they can't stop anybody. I want to ask a little bit about what you just said in regards to Tennessee and how they're dangerous because they're offense, but they can't stop anybody. Well, that's right. who the Bills are up against this week. Yeah. And their offense is the inverse, the mm. exact inverse of what we just saw from the Kansas City Chiefs. This is someone where Derrick Henry is leading the NFL in carries. He's leading his entire career in carries right now. And every single year, I think this is the year where Derrick Henry and all the touches start to accumulate, and it still doesn't happen. He's 27. I keep thinking he's 33, and he's just defying father time. But knowing that the Bills played Kansas City so well, they've got a weird decision to make this week. Joe Biscaglia from The Athletic wrote about this in his piece today. And he specifically said, okay, what do you do if you're the Bills? Do you run it back? Do you run back the same basic plan you had against Kansas City because it worked so well? Or do you recognize the fact that you're going against a team who is the exact inverse of what you just faced and is primarily going to run the ball? If you look at neutral play calling, Kansas City pass rates all all the way at the top, Tennessee's pass rates all the way at the bottom. Right? If If you don't force them situationally, to have to run or have to pass, they're going to choose run. That's just yeah. the way they're built, right? Run, 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 even more so than they were previous years because now Todd Downing is the coordinator. And Arthur He's Smith has since, of course, moved on to Atlanta. Now, when you look at the Buffalo Bills versus the Tennessee Titans, is this Bills defense going to look just as good against a team that's run heavy as they did against a team that's pass heavy? Or is this going to be a completely different animal? Well, it's a different animal for sure because Tennessee is just going to line up and try to pound the football. I mean, that's that's what they do. And we talked about the Bills being better on coverage or better up front. Like this is a, this is an interesting challenge for the Bills front because it's young. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna have to be gap sound. You're gonna have to be willing to kind of okay. I'm not gonna get a splash play. I just have to make the right play. I've got to take on a double team. I've got to I've got to take out a pulling guard. That kind of thing. Um, the Bills can do it. I mean, the, the linebacking core is excellent, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, it looks like Milano's going to play this week. That's a big boost. I'd be worried if he wasn't. They have Edmonds who can run sideline to sideline. That's going to help. Because with Tennessee, look, I know we live in this age where people love to cite analytics and say, well, it doesn't matter if they run the ball. Yeah, yes, it does. Because mm-hmm. if they run the ball, that opens up. the. You, you then have to creep down, and they can hit you for the big play over the top with A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. Well, even if you have good coverage, they're so damn big. They can just make a play in the air. So I think if you're Buffalo, uh, you have to you have to take Henry out of this game as much as possible, even if that means challenging them. Because if I'm if I'm McDermott and that staff, I'm thinking to myself, even if I give up a big play, we'll get it back. Mm-hmm. Their defense isn't good. We'll score, but we can't let them just bleed us to death. And run and run and run and third and five hit a slam. That's by a thousand cuts, yeah. We can't like, and I've seen teams do that against Kansas City forever. And you know what? Almost every time the Chiefs beat them anyway. It just you have to get them into longer down and distances 
and force Tannehill behind what has been a bad offensive bad. line. Bad. Yeah. Bad. Like real bad. Like you have to force him to stand back there and throw the ball. And listen, he's not a bad quarterback, no. but but he's not he's not an elite quarterback either. He's averaging 7.2 yards in attempt, six touchdowns, three picks. Guys, he's been sacked 20 times. Like, and he's pretty mobile. Yeah. But he's he's a guy who can move a little bit. You know, this isn't a Phil Rivers type thing. If if I'm Buffalo, I'm doing everything I've got to do on early downs to stop Henry as much as I can. He's going to get his. He's great. But then on third down saying, okay, look, we're going to we're gonna go after him a little bit. Maybe even bring a corner blitz. The Bills do like to do that sometimes, bring a little pressure. Because I do think if you can get a turnover or two in this game, with the Bills offense against that defense, you're probably in pretty good shape. Do you, Are you at all surprised that it doesn't really feel like Tennessee's a very good football team? Like, I know they've – obviously, Julio and A.J. have had some injuries. A.J.'s been uh, – non-existent and 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 i i don't i don't i don't really know how to describe what i'm seeing from aj brown i don't listen i i said this at the beginning of the season when the move for arthur smith goes goes to atlanta i said it does not matter who takes over i mean you could bring kyle shanahan in here to call plays and i still think that the way the the comfortability that Tannehill had with arthur smith he changed ryan Tannehill's career outright and I think the loss of Arthur Smith is being felt way more in these first couple of games no than doubt. even I thought. And and I and I predicted that you'd see it. But are you surprised that they're they're not very good? You know, I I'm not. How can I word this? I am and I'm not. So coming into the year, you know, a lot of times you get asked, so who do you think you know who's the who's the biggest wild card for you? And to me, it was always them. I, I yeah. just you, you never knew where to place them. Yeah, and it's it's just a it's a it's a lousy division. You know, they're always good, but I always kind of feel like they're not really like good enough to truly push for a Super Bowl. They're they're there. You respect them, but that's kind of where it ends for me. But then, you know, you bring in Julio Jones and say, all right. But my my question was always with them. They're a run first team. I don't care if they have Brown and Jones. They're always going to be a run first team. How does that jive with having to now feed two big dogs, right? Like it's not. No offense to Corey Davis. Corey Davis doesn't demand the ball the way Julio Jones does. Mm-hmm. So how does that jive? Well, so far it hasn't jived. A.J. Brown's not had a good year. They don't have anybody who has more than 170 receiving yards other than Jones, who has 202. Like, I I do think Todd Downing has, has kind of changed a little bit of the way they throw the football. And the biggest thing, again, not to beat a dead horse, but their offensive line stinks. That, that team – it's not going to succeed with that line. And Matt, they're not running play action at the same rate that they were last None. year. And None. and and that and that is, I think, what ultimately saved Ryan Tannehill's career was the was the play action rate that they were using last year. And, and Tannehill's been good, but I always believe with them. And this kind of goes back to my I don't know how much I believe in them as a team. Like if if things aren't going well around Josh Allen, Josh Allen can just win the game. Like he can just he can just say, guys, I'm going to throw the ball 50 times, and I can do it. You know, the same is true of Mahomes. The same is true of Herbert. And I got to say, and I, I'm surprised, the same is true of Lamar this year. Yes. Yes, Lamar's, it is, Matt. Lamar's taking a step. And, you know, everybody always wants to, I think, anoint the young guy too early. And I always feel like the first couple years of his career, if you could get them behind by 10 points, if you could force him to that throw, was it. they were done. They were always done. They're not done anymore. Yeah. And I think I, in some ways, Dobbins and Edwards getting hurt might have been the best thing that ever happened to, to, to Jackson. Because it's forced them to play differently. He has been spectacular. I don't feel that same way about guys like Tannehill, Mayfield, Carr, 
those guys, if they get behind in games and it's incumbent upon them to win the game, everything changes. You know, the year Tennessee went on that run to the AFC title game, if you go look at the playoffs, they never trailed against Baltimore. Yeah. They never trailed against New England. You know, Tannehill did nothing in those two games, but he didn't have to. Then they went to Kansas City. They got behind in that game, and that, that was, was it. it. That yeah. was They had no shot after that. And so I think if you're Buffalo in this game, you try to take Henry out. And you, you say, all right, if we can get a couple, you know, 10 points up here, we're in pretty good shape. But I think for the Bills, it's really, this one almost is more emotional, right? Like, you just yep, came up with a huge that. win. Now, it, in a weird way, it kind of helps. I think it's on Monday night because that'll maybe refocus you. It's a big game. It's national. I wonder if the Bills in this one come out a little flat because it's just, you lose a little bit of that, man. We've been so up for that Chiefs game, maybe even since the beginning of camp. Right? And now it's like, Tennessee. I think they'll win the game. They're just better. I think they'll win. But I'm curious to see how the Bills come out early. Matt Verderam from Fanside is who you've been listening to. Matt, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yes, sir. I really thank appreciate you, it. This was a fantastic segment. I appreciate you taking time out of your Friday night to join us for this. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you're up to over at Fanside? Sure. First of all, no problem. Second of all, yeah, at Matt Verderam, uh, just like the name on the screen on, on Twitter. I'm on their way too much. You can always find me there. <laughs> I'm happy to talk anything. Uh, NFL and Bills, I have a ton of friends. I went to SUNY as we go, so I have a ton of friends who are Bills fans. Um, and then also just, hey, Stack in the Box podcast. Stack in the Box, the column over on Fanside. I do quarterback rankings every week, make my picks on Thursday morning. So there's plenty of ways to find me. Uh, and, and thanks, guys, a lot. I really appreciate it coming on. Thanks for being part of it, man. Thanks, brother. Absolutely. Before we get to the ad read i want to make sure i circle back on jessica who absolutely said best way to take henry out get up by three scores that's a fact and it's absolutely true if maybe two take, scores 10 points maybe, might, maybe might take scores. him out of the game yeah ryan Tannehill with play action 10 yards an attempt ryan Tannehill without play action 6.3 yards an attempt that's a five touchdowns three interceptions if you can take them out of scenarios where their neutral script would be to run the ball and you can force just drop back pass after drop back pass after drop back pass, it does have a tendency to affect Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, like you said, play action under Arthur Smith essentially revitalized his entire career. He was able to run it and hit the intermediate crossing routes better than Marcus Mariota was, which is the reason why they made that switch. And Ryan Tannehill got a rare situation. I mean, can you think of a player who got two market-level quarterback contracts for two separate franchises, it's just not a super common thing that occurs in today's day and age. But a reminder, thank you for the Super Chat, Jessica, by the way, thank a you, reminder Jessica. that Matt Verderam, first off, was an awesome guest, but also Fantastic. is part of the Thrive Fantasy Hotline. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $4 million so far. Thrive's featured $100,000 guaranteed contest is $20 to enter, and first place takes home $20,000. Use promo code BUFFBILLS, that's B-U-F-F-B-I-L-L-S, when you sign up today, and you will receive a 100% instant first deposit match up to 100 bucks. 
Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website, www.thrivefantasy.com. That's www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Nate, we did the thing. Uh, first off, I mean, Matt was fantastic. Yes, right? he was. I, I, it was my first opportunity to talk to Matt. So I was really glad that we were able to get that level of insight from someone who doesn't just look at the bills, right? This is an NFL guy and he grew up a Chiefs fan. Unique position to be yeah. able to talk about not just Buffalo Bills status amongst the NFL, but also the specific issues with the Chiefs and also with the Titans coming up. We are going to take Q&A now, so if you have questions, make sure you put them in the comment section. I am going to, while you're doing that, I'm going to go grab some emails for us mm. to look into. We have winners because and losers, too. and We got, and we got winners I, and losers. We got stuff to do, dude. We got a lot got to, stuff do to do here in 10 minutes. Let's rip it. We're going to do it. Okay, so first off, I have a email from Seafith, and he says, what do you believe are the most important non-playoff wins during the Josh Allen era. He lists three. I'm going to let you list your top three. Your top three most important. Now, that's the key. Most important non-playoff wins during the Josh Allen era. He has three Dallas Cowboys in 2019. Two, Seattle Seahawks in 2020. One, Kansas City Chiefs 2021. Nate, I'm interested to hear your top three. So I like that three, and I like three being Dallas, but I'm going to flip-flop out out that Seahawks game, and I'm going to insert the L.A. Rams game from week three, or was it week two of last year? Week three, I believe it was, the you know final drive, comeback victory after being up, and the offense kind of going to sleep for four or five straight drives in the second half. Josh Allen brings him down the field, throws that game-winning touchdown to uh, to Tyler Croft, and the rest is history. Like to, That, to me, I think from um, – that felt like a game against the the Rams that it's McVay. The Rams look like they've got it. Um, and they take the lead and you're thinking, man, this is sort of what, you, what your worst nightmare about that Bills team was going to be last year. They go down on that final drive. It was much like that Arizona drive. And, and frankly, Bruce, I'm saying Arizona, short of the, you know, Hail Mary play. Um, I, it's Arizona, but, you know, we're a fluky – you know, crazy play from DeAndre Hopkins away from that really being probably the most most or second most consequential game. And obviously it's the Chiefs as number one, getting the monkey off the back. It, it reminded me a lot of, um, you know, Steve Young getting that first Super Bowl after um, sort of knocking on the door for so many years. And, and listen, I mean, 
I think as Bills fans, we have to sort of get to a point where this isn't the Super Bowl beating a, a team in week five and, and and understanding who it is. But it mattered who it was this week, Bruce. And and I think Steve, speaking of Steve Young, he said it really well. He's talking about some of these contending teams, the Bills, the Cardinals, um, the, the Chargers. And the thing that he said, the difference about the Bills compared to those two contenders, the scar tissue. The Bills lost in the AFC Championship game last year. They've gotten to the promised land and just just to fall a game short. And, and I think Arizona is a good young football team in some areas. They've got some veterans in some others. They go get Zach Ertz now, and they're they're really formulating a nice team in Arizona right now. But they don't have that scar tissue. They don't have that uh, that 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 pain that experience that the Bills do. So for me, um, I think it was a big win um, for against Kansas City. But I, I don't. It can't be the biggest win in this football season. And and I'm, I surely hope it won't be. I also have the Rams game as my third. I think it was important to see Josh Allen win that type of game. Yep. I think it was important to see him win that type of game where the defense just could not, absolutely could not get out of their own way in the second half. And it was one of those things where I don't need everything to be perfect around me. I don't even need everything to be great around me. It's just like what Matt said. If I have to go out and throw the ball 50 times and win this game when everything else is not really going the way I want, that I can do that. I think that was important. For my number two, I'm going to go with the Patriots in 2020 mm. when Stephon Diggs game? and yeah, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen decide to come out and absolutely light him up. I feel that there was a level of exorcism associated with that game in the same way that the Chiefs game yeah. was preventing the boogeyman. I feel like that was really the exorcism of the demons because the first game, we all know that the Patriots were driving down to score when Justin Zimmer punched the ball out from Cam Newton. I didn't feel, I didn't walk away from that game feeling like the bills were the better team necessarily. I just walked away saying the bills beat that particular game. They won that game. Given the fact that Bill Belichick is known for being this defensive mastermind and historically he's been able to put the clamps on a lot of quarterbacks could not stop Josh Allen. So when you have him winning games that elite quarterbacks win, and then you have Josh Allen beating people who are some of the best defensive minds of all time, who can put the clamps on a lot of different quarterbacks. That's important. Number one for me, obviously the one that just happened. Going to the comments section, we have a couple questions. Calvin says, will Dawson Knox be a top three tight end in fantasy going forward? I'm going to say no. I don't think the touchdown pace is sustainable, and I don't think he's getting the target share that he would need. I think Cole Beasley is going to start to slip a little bit back into the uh, – into the thing. I think that you're going to have, I disagree. You're going to have people like Darren Waller. You're going to have people like Travis Kelsey. You're going to have people like Mark Andrews who are always going to get higher target rates than Dawson. Dis- Knox. Yes. So, you're, so you are needs, right. He needs the touchdowns to keep up and 16 touchdowns. Rob, 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 <laughs> did it one time. So I'm just, the, the, the math says it's unlikely. 55 of 57, Bruce. Dawson Knox played 55 plays out of 57 run last week. Yes, he did. He is a focal point of the offense. And yes, Cole Beasley is going to get back and integrate it back in this offense. It's going to be game plan dependent. But so far, outside of one game where it's very clear, the Bills realized that the game plan that they they constructed for that Pittsburgh game, which was, and I was listening to Sal Capaccio talk about this today on the afternoon show and show up in Bulldog, and I totally agree. It was a little cocky. It was, we're going to spread you out five wide, try to beat us. And they got beat. 
And I think from that moment forward, the Bills decided, regardless of how good we know we are in certain in certain packages, we are we are going to go back to what has gotten us here and what has what has gotten us this prestige, which is to be the team that week in and week out changes their identity offensively to match the strengths and or weaknesses of the opponent that week. We saw it last week. We saw Reggie Gilliam a ton. We saw it the week before, right? Like we're, we just keep seeing different layers of this offense put in. And so I, I think for me, I think Dawson Knox is probably ends up this season as a top five guy, um, top three. It might be pushing it a little bit considering the guys you mentioned, Bruce, but I don't think he phases out just because other guys are going to phase in. I think he is a new regular and, and yes, touchdowns matter in fantasy, but I think so do yards. And he may not be the guy that is catching, you know, five, six, seven balls a game. But can I tell you who's taken John Brown's deep half of the field away? Who's taken that role? It's not, it's not Emmanuel Sanders. It is. I mean, he there he has been this team's deep threat. But Dawson Knox has been maybe this team's most consistent deep threat. And he it's his understanding of scramble rules. They say they practice it a lot in practice. He understands to get vertical, not only to the sideline, but to get vertical and, and create that separation for Josh Allen. Those are tough plays to defend when Josh Allen gets outside the pocket to the sidelines. He becomes the greatest weapon the NFL has. And I, I recognize I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it's better than something that Patrick Mahomes does. When Josh Allen gets to a sideline, there may not be a more dangerous weapon in all of the league. One of the things that is paramount to scramble rules is that you understand if you're deep, you come short. And if you're short, you go deep. And a lot of times when you see tight ends get kind of stuck in that intermediate area and they can't get the separation, Dawson Knox can do that. And we've established Dawson Knox can go vertical and make that happen as well. So the bills are going to run it more though. Steve are going to run Steve's it more. Comment up. No, they're not. Or they no, aren't. Um, no, they're not. I it's, I, it's, it's going to be game plan dependent. And last week we saw even in a game clinching drive, what I loved is the bills didn't decide to turn around and hand the ball off three times. Like Baker Mayfield did in, in, in Los Angeles earlier on in that Sunday afternoon. It was cowardly play calling by Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield because they were terrified to put the game in the hands of the franchise quarterback, or so they thought was the franchise quarterback. Or maybe they don't think that because if you think you have a franchise quarterback and you're in a game where 40 points is on the board and the other team has 40 points, you don't just turn around and try to milk it even even though you are, your identity is running the football. You have to be able to you know, supplement some passing plays in there. And Josh Allen on that final drive was the perfect – example of trusting your franchise quarterback certainly turning around and running the ball with Zach Moss and grinding out some first downs but but sort of supplementing some of that passing game and that final drive was the reason it was such a success I'm with you on the play calling with the Cleveland Browns last drive I, I, when it, I just it, it was not it was not a drive that somebody who has Aaron Rodgers would do it's not a drive oh, that somebody who has Justin no. Herbert would do it's not a drive that someone who has Lamar Jackson would do. Look what happened. Look what happened. Look what Lamar did against the Colts when they fell down. Just he threw, 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 threw. They trusted yep. him to be able to do that, and they didn't with Baker Mayfield. It's very, very, very interesting to see where that goes. Last thing, digestive winners, losers from the NFL so far this week. Nate, I'm going to go first sure. so I can let you talk. My biggest winner this week in the NFL is Sean McDermott. I think that Sean McDermott, not only as we talk about, I think outcoached Andy Reid, but I do think that there's a significant psychological benefit to beating your mentor 
to beating the guy who gave you your first significant roles in the NFL and the guy who fired you. Yeah. Right now, now I, I, I totally believe that there's love between Sean McDermott and Andy Reed. I, I totally believe that. I don't think there's there's bad blood between the two of them, but Sean McDermott didn't let this become his personal demon, his personal boogeyman. My biggest winner for this week is not just Sean McDermott for the emotional stuff, but Sean McDermott for the, I can out coach someone who is generally thought of as being one of the best coaches in the league. Yeah. So for me, biggest winner, Sean McDermott, biggest loser, Baker Mayfield. It's not because Baker Mayfield didn't have a good stat line against the Chargers. He He did did have a good stat line. 200 of his yards were after the catch. 200 of his yards were after the catch. Cleveland is helping Baker more than most franchise quarterbacks get helped. He has two top 15 running backs. He has one of the best offensive line lines in the league. He has Odell Beckham Jr. and a reasonable receiving core, if not overly dynamic. He's got a great offensive system that is heavily play-action based that will make sure that he has plenty of room back away from the line of scrimmage to make intermediate throws. The same way, the same style of system that allowed Case Keenum to have a great year, yep. that allowed Kirk Cousins to continue to trick people into thinking he's a franchise quarterback, and allowed Ryan Tannehill to resurrect his career. Now, that same system. You've got a good system. You've got a good offensive line. You've got a good running game behind you. You've got an analytically, analytically inclined head coach. And you're getting more help. There are no excuses for Baker Mayfield. Now there are, there are things like the shoulder injury. We, I, I'm not going to pile on Baker Mayfield right now without also acknowledging the fact that he has the shoulder injury. And Josh Allen had it last year during his slump. So contextually, if we're going to add it to Josh Allen, it would be unfair to not add it to Baker Mayfield. But Josh Allen's slump lasted three weeks so at some point it's no longer gonna be applicable yeah the clock is ticking on baker mayfield in the cleveland browns so for me biggest loser baker mayfield bigger winner biggest winner sean mcdermott nate so i think sean mcdermott's an easy i think pick for winner i'm gonna go with lamar jackson and sort of piggybacking off of what our guest mad verderam from from fan side had sort of concluded his conversation with is he has evolved as the passer. He's his evolution that I think a lot of people are sort of waiting for in a contract year, mind you. Lamar Jackson's going to get the Josh Allen contract now. And I know it's five games, but that 457 yard performance that he just pulled off on Monday night was absolutely remarkable. Now that's not a good defense in Indianapolis. I get it. But I, at the same time, um, he's doing things um, that people said he couldn't, which I I've always felt that Lamar could be this passer. I, I, I genuinely thought that, you know, Greg Roman is going to hold him back. I love what Matt said. The losing Dobbins and Edwards is probably a blessing in disguise because they've had that just forced this offense to evolve as a pass first offense, like a, an offense that in neutral downs is passing the ball to Mark Andrews. Um, they're getting Rashad Bateman back this week. Um, they they lose Sammy Watkins to a uh, to a hamstring injury, but we, you sign Sammy Watkins, you know you're getting him for 12 games anyways. So you know they get Bateman back. I think that's an, another dynamic. I think Devin Duvernay is really developing, and again, you're seeing. You're seeing wide receivers that were drafted by the Ravens developing, and some of that's coaching, but a lot of that's just Lamar Jackson making guys around him better. So I think the biggest winner this week has got to be Lamar Jackson. What an unbelievable performance he put on. Baker Mayfield's definitely the biggest loser, but I'd be remiss to say that the biggest loser maybe of all time is not John Gruden. Um, John Gruden has maybe the worst week of all time. 
you know what? I I I feel I feel poorly that it happened the way that it did for John Gruden. I but I think it's incredibly important that it did, if that makes sense. I think it's not exactly fair for John Gruden to be the sort of scapegoat for the toxic culture that exists within ownership within people of power in the NFL, but not just in the NFL, just in, in life in general, in, in the world. Um, that is how people in power who are above reproach or believe they're above reproach, that's how they speak. It's how they communicate. This is not a surprise um, if you are paying attention and you're awake in the world. So I, I, I just think what I think is a little lame is that that John Gruden's going to be going down and it's has nothing to do with him and it's a it's a it's a Bruce Allen thing and 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 they get caught up in 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 this Washington football team just disaster and Dan Snyder should be the next to go but i i'm glad that it happened i think that the i think the world and the nfl and the players and and the fans of this league needed to needed to see that and and understand that that is happening in positions of power and i think it's put a lot of people on notice i think it's an important time in the nfl as we see the end racism and and unity and everything that, 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 that has been talked about and preached by the NFL. And we'll see if they continue to apply that standard as, as harshly as they applied it to John Gruden, because it sort of feels like John Gruden is sort of being, uh, he's, he's being scapegoated a little bit. And, and I'd like to see a lot of other men who are just as equally as guilty of the same things that John Gruden is um, to get their time and their reckoning as well. So we'll, we'll see if that happens, but I, how could I not say John Gruden's not the biggest loser maybe ever, but, but certainly this week. Well, I'm what a way to end the show. What a way <laughs> to end the show on a downer like that. But <laughs> for those in the comments and those watching around the world, thank you for joining us for this episode of food for thought. We hope you had a good time. Make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, make sure to comment on the video, make sure to engage with us. Thank you for being a part of this show. Thank you for spending your evening with us. We hope you had a good time and we hope you didn't leave hungry.